have the clouds roll back and the stars fill the night. That's when I'm gonna stand up, take my people with me. Together we are going to a brand new home. Far across the river, can you hear freedom calling? Calling me to answer, gonna keep on keeping on. I can feel it. FM, KKFI, Kansas City, Community Radio. Streaming online at www.kkfi.org. 
The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Story, sad story now. Still waiting for the truth to be told now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It won't be long now, now. Won't be long. Heard the news, heard your rivers all run dry. And on TV, I see signs in your sky word is out loud whispering going on boy angels turn mercenaries coming in thousands oh City Community Radio. This is Urban Connections. I'm your host, Donna Morrow Wolf. My co-host Karen E. Griffin is here in studio with us today. Once again, welcome back, Karen. Hey, how are you? Uh, you'll be better after I turn on your mic. Mic yeah. one, mic two. Yeah, there you are. I'm good. How are you? Wonderful. So I'm chilly. Wonderful to have you back. It's snowing in Kansas City, yeah. folks. At least if you're north of the river. Ooh. Now I know what a brown fudge popsicle feels like on an ice cream truck. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> um, but I would uh, like everybody to know how honored I am to have our guest joining us today. We have Mr. Phil Long, who's the president of the African American Association of Vintners and the owner of Longevity Wines out of California. So uh, welcome, Phil, to Urban Connections and KKFI. Well, good afternoon, ladies. How you guys doing? Good. We're doing good. We're doing good. Now, I wish our audience had this uh, visual that I have of you as you right. join us via Zoom, but uh, I see rows and rows oh, of wine casks, beautiful barrels of, of wine uh, behind you, uh, representing this trade, this profession, this 
um, these entities that uh, are in the African-American sphere of, of business activity uh, making wine. So um, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, Phil Long, and how you came to be in the position that you are in as president of the African-American Association of Vintners. Wow. Well, it's only a half-hour show, right? I don't know. No, it's a, an hour show. Hour. We got the oh, hour. It's an hour show. Yeah. It's an hour show. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, you know, it's been an interesting journey. I um, I really wasn't uh, exposed to wine growing up uh, in Southern California. And um, even in my days going to uh, college, I didn't know wine was even made in this country. Um, ironically, that same university is now archiving longevity in the university library. But, uh, you know, California is kind of the wine mecca of the U.S. and even more specific, uh, Northern California. So when my late my wife and I moved up to Northern California, we started to get out and explore our surroundings and um, inevitably would end up in wine country. You can't, you can't drive in any direction up here without ending up in wine country. So um, on weekends, that's where we seem to end up. So we started making a little wine in the garage for fun, and that's how the whole wine thing started. And uh, I met Mac McDonald somewhere around uh, 2011 or 12, and um, who founded Triple AV. Um, I didn't know at the time he was grooming me his replacement. So, oh yeah, well. Uh, when it came time, I forgot to step backwards. So here we are. Yeah, that's what friends are for. That's how how <laughs> friends will uh, friends will do you, but. Ultimately, uh, good friends wind up, you know, making you better even than, than you knew that you were. I agree. Um, so I you agree. start you started making a little wine in out in the garage. How did you come by your knowledge of how to do that? Um, interestingly enough, I started reading a few books, but I think the, the key the couple of key points. Um, I went to this wine shop to look for some books, this wine uh, supply shop to look for some books. And uh, I asked the gentleman, you know, what, what, what did he recommend? And he recommended some books and he said, so you want to make a little wine? I said, yeah, that's what I'm looking to do. He said, I'll tell you what, go read these books, write down the steps and then come back and see me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I did. I came back, and because of my background being a designer, I didn't write the steps down. I sketched all the steps oh. with drawings and, and, and sketches, and um, I took it back. He told me what was right. He told me what was wrong. Uh, he had me redo some things. I came back. He says, I think you're ready. Mm. I said, "It was this was in the summertime. I said, so like in a year? He says, no, I think you're ready for this harvest. And wow. um, he pointed to the bulletin board and showed me where people were selling some fruit, and lo and behold, there was uh, a gentleman, um, Harry Newcomb, selling some Syrah, that I was looking to do Syrah, and that's how it all started. Interesting. So there's so many different ways that people get into the wine business. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but uh, can you talk about the different avenues that people get into the wine business and the different levels that of entry that there are, like you went and bought some fruit and made some wine. Um, but some people start with 
growing their own grapes to make mm -hmm. the wine. So talk and, you know, it's like any other industry. You can start anywhere. The results are the same to get wine in the bottle with your label on it. Mm -hmm. Whether you start growing your grapes, whether you start buying your grapes, whether you start whether you start buying uh, a juice from somebody and blending it yourself, there's there's a ton of different ways to get into the wine business. Um, the bottom line is they all cost money, no matter how you yeah. slice it. Mm -hmm. It's going to cost you some jing. So, uh, but yeah, there are many many ways to get in. Uh, you know, I would suggest not going my route, but to actually spend some time either volunteering, helping out, or working part-time at a winery, because that's your quickest learn. Okay. That is absolutely by far your quickest learn. I have a question. How did you manage to go find a piece of land that you knew that you can grow your own fruit on? How did you go about doing that research? Or did he grow his own fruit? Oh, yeah. He said he, he, yeah. he, he bought some grapes. Both, right. both great questions. So when we first opened... We started buying um, very, very small amounts of fruit. We couldn't even buy most of our fruit because people didn't want to sell such a small amount. Mm. Um, so it was hard getting the fruit when we first started. Some of those same vineyards, which that was 2008, some of those same vineyards now, we take the entire vineyard worth of fruit. So instead of us being the little portion, we're taking the entire vineyard. So we manage the vineyard with our own vineyard manager. Okay. And basically, they just own the land. Mm -hmm. Now, that's for one series of labels that we have. Uh, for our international label, that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother story. Uh, 2019, we um, we partnered with the Franzia family uh, to expand production and distribution. Uh, the Franzia family own more than 40, 40 to 45,000 vineyard line acres here in California. Forty that's to forty-five thousand acres. Yeah. Yes, that's more than exists in the entire state of Oregon. Uh, because of our partnership for uh, the the Phil Long program, there's a Phil Long label, longevity label, Four Hearts label. Um, because of all those programs, I get my choice of what fruit come from those vineyards to go into our bottles. Wow. Okay. Now, backing up a little bit. The Association of African American Vintners was founded in 2002, um, a 501c6 nonprofit organization formed to increase the quality of wine communications to all and grow awareness of the Association of African American Vintners, to foster a spirit of cooperation among all growers, wineries, and industry groups to develop a sense of community among members of the organization through friendly and informal networking and social functions to increase awareness of diversity in, our, in the wine industry and to all wine consumers through public pouring events and showcasing AAAV member wines and to facilitate access to relevant viticulture, enological, and related information through voluntary sharing among members. So please tell us why and tell our listeners why it was necessary to have an association of African-American vintners. Well, kind of going back to when Mac started it, um, you know, Mac wasn't um, recognized because he was a black winemaker. 
Mac was just making some damn good Pinot Noir from Sonoma. Okay. He just happened to be black. But he was making damn good wine. And he, as he started to venture out into the world and start to pour his wine and go to events and get to be known, I, as Mac says, people didn't, he said people didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. So that's when he decided when he did find someone that looked like him. It's, it's, it was basically like, hey, man, you know, why don't we share information, share resources um, to help grow? Today, African-Americans in the wine industry, especially owner, uh, owner winemakers, make up less than half of a percent of the entire industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously that's, that's sad. And it's, it's that way for, for many reasons. Um, but, but we're here, and the important thing is we're trying, we're trying to change that. It's really, uh, you know, to boil it down into simple terms, there is no diversity in the wine industry. And I feel it's our job and AAAV's job to try to create diversity in the industry. So that's really what it's all about. And we're creating diversity through awareness. If you ask the majority of the public, do they even know African-American winemakers exist? Mm-hmm. No, is the answer. Um, so awareness that we even exist, um, awareness that it's even a career path for, um, for young people. I didn't know it was a career path. I didn't know wine was made in this country when I graduated from college. It's a French so, thing or an Italian thing or something like that, right? I thought I thought it was all made in France. I, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but awareness and then helping pave that path for, you know, young people to go this route. That's um, definitely what we're trying to do through scholarships, mentorships, um, and again, the whole collab- collaboration between members and wineries and trying to help grow and, and spread the word. So can you um, explain these uh, terms for us that I, I just mentioned uh, from the AAAV um, sort of mission statement that's there on your website, which is AAAVentners.org. No, aaaventners.org and that is the Association of African American Vintners. But can you please talk about what viticulture is, what enology is, and uh, yeah, talk about those two terms, viticulture and enology. So uh, viticulture is the study of growing grapes. Mm-hmm. That's it's basically growing grapes, growing fruit. Um, it's the agricultural side of our business. Enology is the study of producing wine. Mm. So they go obviously go hand in hand. You know, you can be on either side. You can you can be on both sides. As I straddle that line for sure. Um, but they 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 both can't exist without each other. Okay, and. In growing grapes, can you talk about the different types of grapes that are grown um, and and that people make wine out of? I could, but we're going to go beyond the hour. There yeah, are no. hundreds, <laughs> literally hundreds oh, of grape varietals uh, around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we all know the big three. We all know Cabernet. We all know Chardonnay. Uh, we all know Pinot Noir. We know what those are. But when you start venturing to different parts of the world, 
and what grapes they've gotten to be known for. Um, I mean, we don't even, at, at our brick and mortar, we don't even make Chardonnay anymore. Yet we have more whites on the menu than anybody in the Valley. Mm-hmm. So we do Pinot Blanc, Pinot Grigio, Albarino, Rosé of Zinfandel, Rosé of Pinot Noir. Uh, we have two sparklings. Um, there's, there, like I said, there's, there's literally hundreds of grape varieties. So when you do a rosé of a wine, what does that mean? Great question. So rosé, by definition, typically refers to a blush-colored wine made from red grapes. Mm -hmm. So you have red grapes and you have, let's just call it white grapes for white wine grapes. Now... Typically, white wine grapes are the green grapes you see, and typically red wine grapes are the red grapes that you see. The meat of all of the grapes is all white, Mm -hmm. no matter what grapes are. So the only place a red wine gets its color is from the skin. Mm. The only sort of cross or straddle that line that I'm familiar with is Pinot Grigio. So Pinot Blanc, Blanc means white. Pinot Noir, Noir means black. Pinot Grigio, or Gris, which is the same grape, just as depends on the pronunciation being French or Italian, I wonder. means gray, uh-huh. which is right in the middle. So there are hues of color in the skins of Pinot Grigio. Um, in this country, we don't see a lot of Pinot Grigio is with color. That's just what's become accepted, although that's changing. We've been making a Ramato-style Pinot Grigio for, I don't know, 10, 12 years or more. And we uh, have a skin to skin contact. So our Pinot Grigio is pink. Which and sounds kind of rosé. When I first started entering into competitions, it really wasn't accepted. It would score poorly. Mm. Now, finally, um, our latest uh, vintage, uh, the 22, was uh, scored 90 points in Wine Enthusiast Magazine and Hidden Gem. So the acceptance of of pink Pinot Grigios is coming around. But I say that about those three categories of grapes, white grapes, Pinot Grigio, and then red grapes. So it's all about how how long that wine sits in whatever it sits in. And I'm going to ask you about that, too. <laughs> How long that wine sits in that container with the skin of the grape and in contact with the skin of the grape. And the longer exactly. it sits there, the darker the wine gets? Interesting. Yes. I'm just saying, um, to simplify it, that's exactly correct. Okay. So a lot of, um, of Provence-style uh, rosés, um, from France or even a lot of rosés in this country, that could literally mean a matter of just a couple hours. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's just a couple hours. And, again, if they're, they're red grapes, so, you know, what we do, like we just, uh, we just bottled two rosés yesterday. But how we produced it, we literally we distemmed the grapes and gently broke the skins and let it set 
for about half a day. And then there's a process known as a French word called sanye. Sanye means to bleed. Mm-hmm. We have a, a device called, it's called a snorkel, but it's basically a device you can stick down into that vat, let's call it, of must, which is what that is now. The must is the juice, the seeds, the skins, the meat. And it will draw off just the liquid. Mm. And then we take that liquid and produce it totally separately from that vat we drew it from. Because the vat we drew it from then goes on to become red wine. Okay. So what we put off goes to be rosé. Okay. And we treat them totally differently from that point on. There is, this is such a complex uh, subject, and I just find it absolutely fascinating. And every topic topic that I've raised with you, I got about ten questions to <laughs> to to follow up uh, um, with that. Um, I had I I didn't know I didn't I didn't know you would remove some of the liquid, and from that you would have create a batch of rosé or whatever whatever it is you're doing i think that's fascinating um so do you grow any of your own grapes or do you rent uh, them so to speak we manage, we manage vineyards okay. and again that 40 to 45,000 there's there's enough people involved where I don't have to get involved in the growing of the grapes. I just have mm-hmm. to, I'm just involved in the winemaking. Well, when did you last get out there and prune some grape vines <laughs> and uh, do all that kind of thing? Was that ever your? Look, girl, a few weeks ago, I was out there picking grapes. <laughs> that was going to be my question is, when do you know when to pick the perfect grape to create this exquisite wine like what does that grape look like or does it speak to you and say hey i'm ready like how do you know that oh it it, it speaks to you but it speaks to you in chemistry form uh-huh. so yeah they talk bottom line is when you grow fruit you're trying to achieve this perfect balance between between ripeness acidity ph sweetness all those things need to be in balance that tells you it's time to pick. Mm. And you've got to, you got to, you can't just, you know, come show up and say these are ready and come back in a month. You've got to start monitoring where they're at at least a month, month and a half ahead of time and check their progress and where they're going and, you know, monitor their irrigation very closely before. Are they getting dried out before they're ripe? Do we need to irrigate more? Mm-hmm. Are they getting too plump? Are the are the grapes beginning to crack? There's just this whole process of monitoring the grapes up until that time you pick because you can only do so much in the cellar, so you want them to be as perfect, in a sense, as you can in the vineyard before you bring them into the cellar. Okay. So what are what are some of the risks um, that are involved that, that, that grapes can fall, you know, victim to? What are some of the, the hazards of uh, growing grapes for wine? Well, it's probably, you know, every agricultural product, product is going to be depending upon Mother Nature. Yeah. And we can't save Mother Nature. Um, but in addition to Mother Nature, you know, here in California, we've had to do with the fires. Yes. Yeah. So 
the fires, smoke taint, that's a whole other level of things to do with. But, you know, this year has been a very, very odd year. This was a long, late harvest mm-hmm. uh, for us. We were picking probably later than we ever have. Things just weren't ripening. We didn't. We had a really late spring. Um, things weren't, weren't budding, and uh, it, you just have to, it's just something you have to deal with every season, every vintage. It's different, but that's also what keeps it exciting. Mm-hmm. You're not just making a chocolate chip cookie from the same recipe. Yeah. You know, um, you know, these, this chocolate came from a different country, so we got to watch what we do with this. So mm-hmm. every vintage is different, and, and, and that's what makes it enjoyable. Now, how many seasons have you gone through as a winemaker now? How many harvests um, have I'll, you? About 20. About wow. 20. Does, and it, does, it doesn't get easier, right? Uh, no, it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> uh, each, each, uh, each harvest is challenging. Mm-hmm. I will say it's easier now because uh, my son is um, the assistant winemaker. He's been with awesome. us since uh, 2016. Okay. So it doesn't just all fall on my shoulders anymore, which is really, really great. It's actually falling more on his shoulders now, <laughs> which is good for me. Uh, so... That, that makes it easy, but the challenge of every harvest, harvest is still the same. Um, when did he know that he wanted to, to, to be a part of this wine business? Did he always feel that way? No. No. <laughs> um, he, he, he hated wine. He didn't like wine. He loved beer. Um mm-hmm. But when Deborah was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2016, he decided he didn't want me to go through that alone. Oh, okay. So he relocated back to Northern California, and he's been there ever since. And now uh, he's between uh, Tammy, my publicist and general manager, and and Junior. They they pretty much run the ship because I'm on the road most of the time. Okay, and thank Tammy for me for doing so much uh, work to facilitate our conversation uh, here today. I really appreciate her her, uh, help, and she stuck to it, and we worked out uh, this date so we could have uh, Phil here. Um, I'm a budding student of wine, Phil, and I've taken some classes at uh, uh, Lake Michigan College up uh, uh, on the shores of uh, Lake Michigan, which I think now is a budding new uh, wine uh, region and we have a farm up there where we grow blueberries and I got interested in we we wanted to diversify but nobody knew how to make wine so then I decided to go take wine classes and then it just opened up a whole new avenue and level of a universe for me I cuz cuz I had no idea uh, what a complex science uh, wine is um, Phil, can you stick with this? Because we got to take a break right now. We come back and uh, continue our conversation with you, please. Absolutely. I'm right here. All righty. Thank you so much. You're tuned in 90.1 FM, everybody. KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This is Urban Connections. I'm your host, Donna Wolf. Our co-host, Karen E. Griffin, is here in the studio. 
Our guest zooming in today from Northern California is Phil Long, who owns and operates Longevity Wines and who is the president of the Association of African American Vintners. We're having a great conversation with him, so please stay tuned because we'll be back right after these messages. Jaws of Justice Radio investigates how we can achieve justice from a system of laws deeply rooted in economic, political, and social inequality. We strive to dispel misconceptions created by the news and entertainment industries, as well as the fear-mongering of the political system. Listen in as we search out the tools needed to make our community a more just environment. Jaws of Justice Radio, Mondays at 9 a.m., right after Democracy Now! This is M.C. Richardson, chairman of the United Minority Media Association, inviting you to participate in Yuma's 50th anniversary, Saturday, December the 2nd, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Bruce O. Watkins Cultural Heritage Center, 3700 Blue Parkway, KCMO, workshops, presentations, and awards, plus a luncheon. For more information and donations, call 816-694-2273. FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio Urban Connections is a program. I'm your host, Donald Wolf. Our co-host, Karen E. Griffin, is here in studio with me and joining us. Uh, from Northern California is the president of the African, African, I'm sorry, the Association of African American Vintners, Mr. Phil Long, owner of Longevity Wines. Thank you so much, Phil, once again, for being here uh, with us. I I believe Karen had a question. I do. I have two questions. I want to go back to the meat when you were talking about the meat. Meat of the grapes. Yes, the meat of the grapes. There's seeds in there, right? What do you do with the seeds when I extract from that? Do you regrow from that, or you ship those seeds off so they can produce more? No. For the most part, we what we call hummus is our, um, let's just say, our, our what we don't use when producing wine, mm-hmm. and that hummus includes, in the end, it includes the stems. We don't use the stems. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just say for the most part, we don't use the stems. We don't use the seeds, and we don't use the skins. Mm-hmm. For the most part, um, the majority of our wine, all the pumice is is either uh, recycled back into the vineyard okay. as compost, or uh, some of it even goes to, to cows for cow feed. That's interesting. Um, okay. Oh, my other question. Okay, go ahead. I had an opportunity yeah. to attend the Robert Madavi. Did I say that correctly? Mondavi, and had the best time ever. So my question is for you. They put us all in a room first before they even let us go take a tour, go to the vineyard. They put us all in a room first, and then they let us out this room. And my question is, and no one would answer this question for me when I was there. It was like, did they sterilize sterilize us, cleanse us first? (laughs) Because the reason why I say that, when you walked in, you couldn't smell anything. But when we came out the room, you were able to smell 
the grapes or whatever the aroma was, you were able to smell it. And I asked the question, did you guys by any chance sterilize us? Because I would think you would have to clean the public before they come into the vineyard with the grapes being there because they took us into the where the production was and everything. Um, well, I can tell you from experience, I've never been any place where I got sterilized. Um, <laughs> or cleansed. <laughs> that's a great observation. Maybe um, some UV rays were shot. It was shot. something, because when you walked in, you didn't smell anything. They put us in that room, and then we came out. It was the sweet aroma that was just coming down into the valley, like, where we were. Interesting. Was it, was it during fall? Yes. Okay. So, and that's pretty typical of every of every valley. Which there are you can, there are people on both ends of the spectrum. You either love that smell, or you hate that smell. Mm. But that's the smell of fermentation. Okay. No matter where you go during harvest time, there's so much fermentation going on. It has a very very distinct smell. It's offensive to some. Mm-hmm. I, I happen to really love it. It's the smell of fall to me. Yes. So uh, that's exactly what that is. Because nobody else smelled it. I was like, you guys don't smell that? And they was like, no. And I was like, but it smells so good. <laughs> Phil, can you, uh, can you talk to us about the wine tasting? Oh, yeah. Um, talk about what a sommelier is. And I think I'm, I'm always hesitant to say the word because I think I, sommelier, I think I mispronounce it. Talk to us about what that is. Sommelier or sommelier. Those are are both correct. Sommelier, okay. Talk to us about what a sommelier is and what these, well, I'll let you go there first. What is a sommelier? Well, remember we talked about viticulture is the study of grapes, Grapes. basically. Mm -hmm. Enology is the study of producing wine. To be a sommelier, it's the study and knowledge basically of the history and origins and characteristics of wine. Okay. So uh, you guys need to watch, if you haven't watched some the movies, you, you got to go back and watch those. It's an intense, vigorous course. Um, and we even offer scholarships to uh, Napa Valley Wine Academy to the AAAV for some WSET level one through four. Um, it's, it's basically the study of wine and the history and characteristics and varietals and all it. Remember, a sommelier at a restaurant, he's trying to pair your meal with the perfect wine. He's trying to answer your questions. What are the kind of things you like about wine and pick a wine for you? Mm-hmm. All that knowledge, it, it's really, really pretty amazing how deep that study goes. I, I'm, I'm totally in awe. To pick up a glass of wine and to smell it, look, I can pick it up and almost and taste and tell you what it is. Somalias can tell you what it is, what region it came from, mm. what vintage it was. Uh, I'm, I'm not that good. And and the vintage <laughs> is, of course, when it was when it was made. When it was produced, the year the year the grapes were picked is wow. the vintage. Now, how did you decide? What varieties of grapes that you would use to make your wines? Well, first and foremost, uh, when we started, it was about what fruit we could get. 
Okay. Remember, we were trying to buy very small amounts, and a lot of people wouldn't talk to us. It's, it's, it's one thing to want something. It's another thing to be able to get it. Right. So that, that really led us down a path early on. Um, you know, today, especially on the large, on the national or international side, it, it's more business-driven, to be honest with you, than it is uh, preference-driven. And what are the trends in, in wines? Because, I don't know, I get a little frustrated. If you go in the grocery store, <laughs> and you're going to try to buy some wine. Go to the grocery store. Don't go to the grocery store. <laughs> but you see Chardonnay. No, there's nothing wrong with the grocery store. Okay, you see Chardonnay, you see Pinot. Noir, you Rose. see Pinot oh. Grigio, you see Cabernet Sauve, uh, and you know, um, those are the I'd say those were the are the mainstays, uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Mm. But there's so many, many. more so many. Uh, varieties. You mentioned that you you have a Syrah was the first uh, variety you made, and that leads to another question: What's the difference between Syrah and Shiraz, um, yeah. If you and, can and about petite that. Syrah and petite Syrah, you got to all those in there together. Yeah, um, there really is no difference between Syrah and Shiraz. They're the same grape. Okay. Period. Okay. Um, but petite Syrah is an entirely different grape. Okay. And so much so that it's even spelled differently. Okay. Syrah spelled with a Y. Petite Syrah. Raz spelled with an I. Does that mean it's a little great because it's petite or, you know? Petite, petite usually means, yeah, somewhere along the line, somebody decided that they were smaller berries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, are there wine varieties that are indigenous to the Americas that we make wine out of uh, popularly now, or are we dealing with something that's been transplanted and brought here from France or brought here from? Italy and is now grown here. Most most things were were brought from Europe. Mm-hmm. Most varietals were brought from Europe. The one varietal that I'll say is um, indigenous to a point. I'm going to say is um, is Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of Zinfandel planted in Northern California during the Gold Rush. Uh, settlers when they came here, um, that was the primary grape. But, you know, all, as you hear, Rhone varietals, I mean, obviously those varietals originated in, in the Rhone Valley in France. That's okay. your Grenache, your Syrah, your Mavedra. You hear Bordeaux varietals. They're, you know, the, the big five, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Petit Verdon, Malbec. Um, so it's, and then, you know, and then there's Burgundy, which is huge, you know, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. So they all originated somewhere. Like I said, Zinfandel, I don't know beyond California where else it would have originated, but it's been here a long time. So are American wines, are California wines, in your opinion, uh, the best wine produced in America? Or where else in America is wine, good wine produced? Well... Let's let's look at some numbers. Okay. If California were a country, mm-hmm. if California, the state, were a country, we'd be the third largest wine producing country in the world. Wow, it's a lot. That so, 
that has to tell you something. We, more wine comes out of California than all the other states put together. Okay. So, um, you know, there's wine. There are wineries producing wine in every single state, believe it or not, including Alaska, Hawaii, mm-hmm. and, yeah, pineapple wine. But anyway, yeah, there are wineries of. in every single state. Um, I actually... I've been a, I've, I'm sorry, I've been a California snob for a long time. <laughs> okay, I'm right. like, we'll allow you that. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm first to admit it, but now that I live part-time on the East Coast, ah. I'm starting to venture out, and in fact, we were in, is it Virginia, and visited uh, Barbersville? Mm-hmm. A winery, mm-hmm. and that region, I believe, was just voted the number one region this year in Wine Enthusiast Magazine. Wow. So there are some regions that are coming up. I mean, there's Finger Lakes. There's wineries pretty much everywhere. That's New York, um, Finger Lakes, but, right? Uh, yeah, Finger Lakes, cooler climate, cooler climate wine, mm-hmm. you know, great converts, Riesling. Um, it's just a different climate, different wine, a lot of ice wine. Uh, I have not been to the Finger Lakes region. I flew over it because we were in uh, uh, Niagara Falls in Canada about a week ago. <laughs> a week ago. Yeah. But uh, I will get at some point. What is ice wine? Ice wine is when you you let the, the grapes, you don't pick them when typical wine is picked. You let them stay on the vines till they start to dehydrate and then the frost comes and the grapes freeze and you that's when you pick the grapes is when they're frozen and that concentrates and you, the flavor or what yes it's an intense intensely beautiful sweet dessert type wine that think of how much juice you're going to get out of a frozen berry. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of grapes to make a little wine, okay. and that's why it's more expensive. Sounds wow. pretty thick, too. but And I guess that could be a good thing. We're going to have to take one more break. Phil, bear with us, and we'll come back and continue our conversation with Phil Long, who's the owner and uh, founder of Longevity Wines in Northern California. And he is the president of the Association of African American Vintners. That is AAAV is the organization. The website aaavintners.org. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Phil. You're tuned in 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Tune in every Saturday at 5 p.m. for Changing Narratives, a program hosted by me, Brother Jack. Join me for interviews and discussions that will be informative and entertaining. While interviewing some of the unsung heroes from the African-American community, our goal is to bring balance to the negative narratives that are currently being shared. Once again, every Saturday at 5 p.m., Changing Narratives with Brother Jack. Thank you for listening to KKFI. 
Be sure to like and follow your community radio station on social media at KKFI 901 FM as we are now adding new content to our social media sites every day. And thank you again for supporting this station since 1988. FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio Urban Connections. We are back on the air with our guest, Phil Long, the owner of Longevity Wines. That's L-O-N-G-E-V-T. I'm sorry. Longevity. L-O-N-G-E-V-I-T-Y. Wines uh, in Northern California. And um, he's been telling us a whole lot. I could talk mm-hmm. to you all day. Me too. Phil. Um, uh, you Mr. Phil, I have a question for you. Do you have to um, own a vineyard to be a member of the AAAV? Can you just be a member of the association? You can be a member of the association. You can be a student member. You can be a business member. You can be white, black, green. It, it doesn't matter. We're again, if we're going to preach diversity, we're going to we're going be to be diverse. diversity. Be diverse. So yeah. yes, we pretty much take all uh, into the into the uh, organization. Good. My other question for you: wine tasting. In case someone's listening or like, I want to start learning how to consume wine. Can you explain what are the processes to determine a good glass of wine or a bad glass of wine, or just learn how to taste wine? Yes, so I can talk a little bit about both. The second question is actually really easy. You know what the best wine in the world is? The one you like. That's exactly correct. <laughs> okay. The one you like. Don't let nobody tell you what you're supposed to like. Good. Don't let the people say, this is the one. No. Even if Whatever it's Boone's Farm, like, right? <laughs> that's it. Okay. Um, it's really wine. Is, look, wine is very, very personal. It's an ex, mm. it's an experience. It's not a beverage. It really is an experience. Yes. And that experience is yours, and it is it is personally it belongs to you. So what I'm going to like may not be what you like, and, and vice versa. Everybody's palate is on a journey, and nobody's palate's at the same place at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, coming back to your question about tasting, always swirl. Always swirl. Always swirl. Why do we swirl? We swirl because that wine's been cooped up in that bottle for so long. Mm -hmm. It's basically aerating the wine to open up the aromas and the flavors that have been cooped up in that bottle for so long. Okay. So always swirl. Number one. Mm -hmm. So swirl, sniff. Mm -hmm. Did all that work to open up those aromas? You got to see what they are right mm-hmm. right what do you smell what do you say i mean you know and this you know this is uh i i know this is radio sorry this is a, a rose from uh a good friend of mine ray ray he owns indigenous sellers sellers down in paso it looks um, good to me yeah, it does. You know, floral aromas um wonderful fruit mm-hmm. yeah we visit ray ray every year around july and yeah so in Part of that experience is what is the wine offering on the nose? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got that going on. And then 
you sip. You don't gulp. You sip. Mm-hmm. Let it kind of rest on your palate. Mm-hmm. Let's see what your the front of your palate is picking up. Are you getting the acid? Are you getting sweet? Are you getting tannins? Depending on where it is in your mouth. Mm-hmm. And then once you swallow, savor. Mm. So swirl, sniff, sip, savor. Swirl the wine, the wine in your glass, which mm-hmm. adds air, which yep. opens up the, the wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which uh, all those flavors, all that. Yeah. Okay. You, yep. you you said tannins on your tongue. Tannins, tannins. You forget that um, that big big cabernet or big big red wine. That stuff that sticks to your teeth. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's like it's it's like it's really adhering to your teeth down here on the in the the mid palate back there, your bottom teeth. Those are tannins. Tannins come from the grape, the skin literally the skins of the grape, mm-hmm. or tannins can also come from oak. But primarily when you're getting the tannins in the West, primarily a combination of both. But depending on how many the t- tannins can be off putting to some. Some say the bigger the tannins, the better the wine. Mm-hmm. Again, personal experience. But tannins are those things that you feel right, right in there mm-hmm. when you when you're sipping the wine. Some people call that bitter. Do you do you think tann- tannins are bitter? I think there's a characteristic of tannins you can call bitter. But what, what do you distinguish? What is bitter? What is sour? And what's acidic? Okay. Mm-hmm. Are they all the same, or are those different characteristics? They're all different. They're all different. And they, they are all different, and, but we, early on in our wine-tasting career, we don't always distinguish between them. So, um, what about the type of glass oh, yeah. uh, that you're using? Because you need different types of glasses for different types of wine, and why? So, I'll give a couple really, really... Um, Great example. So, champagne or sparkling wine. Why is that served in a flute? The bubbles. And the flute is the long, the thin glass. Yep. Long, thin glass. Okay. Yes. Why is why is sparkling wine or champagne served in a flute? So the bubbles can rise to the top. That's exactly right. You've worked all this. You worked really hard to make this great wine with these very fine bubbles. And the last thing you want to do, let's see, I said that that um, swirl, mm-hmm. you never swirl. Champagne? Mm-hmm. Wine or champagne. Whoa. Bubbles. I love champagne. Because the bubbles are releasing. Oh, for the record, I love champagne. I do too. <laughs> and sparkling All you're wine. doing is releasing the bubbles, the bubbles, so you don't swirl sparkling wine. The, but that is exactly correct. So that's why the glass is that long vertical shape so it gives it this showcase for those bubbles to rise okay all right yes absolutely so that's a great example of why you drink champagne in a flute mm-hmm. um you know the bigger wines need those bigger bowls the bigger the bowl the bigger the surface area mm-hmm. the more aeration because the oh. bigger the wine the more air it needs okay so that's why the bowl becomes so big um you know, Pinot Noirs typically are a very kind of wide bowl, 
where the Bordeaux are more of a tall but wide glass as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole theory behind glass design, and Riedel, the manufacturer, yeah. they actually put on classes. Mm-hmm. Now, I've never attended one. They put on classes where they serve you the wines in the glasses they produce for those varietals, and they serve them next to wines in a like a everyday glass. Mm-hmm. And you can taste the difference. Mm. All righty. What about wine uh, served in paper cups or plastic oh. cups? Oh, no. Look, I sometimes mean... you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, uh, the Phil, wine got to be mad. Phil, so so that means, can I, like, come out there and work in no, the we, vineyard? we, oh. we. Okay. We, we. <laughs> yes, y'all. <laughs> Y'all are more than welcome. So the time, you know, I say the time to come out here and harvest. That's when we're okay, dealing okay. with fruit. But you know what? It's not like working at a winery. We work three months of the year and, and take vacation nine. No. There's always something okay. going yeah, on. Always sure. something going on. So like I said, yesterday we're bottling. Um, this week we'll be blending and bottling. Um, we're going to be barreling down things we pressed here in the next couple of weeks. It's See. There's always something going on. There was so much more to ask you about, and we've about uh, run out of time. Oh, my gosh, I didn't get to talk to you about what you make, what kind of vessels you make your wine in. Why do do people put it in barrels, and, you know, how do you make that uh, decision about what to put the wine in to let it ferment? Really quick, that's uh, a barrel, just really quick, it's, offers flavor, mm-hmm. but the best thing about a barrel, people don't know, a barrel breathes. Mm-hmm. Because of that breathing, we, every month, lose a bottle per barrel per month. Wow. Evaporation. But that's a, that's a good thing, because what it does is it continues to concentrate the wine down to that wine that you enjoy when it gets to you in the bottle. So that's a very important decision to make. None of our whites going barrel. Okay. We like that fresh, bright, acidic. We can get into the chemistry of mallow, no mallow later, right. but none of our whites go in barrel, our reds go in barrel, um, and they're in barrel from 18 to 36 months, depending. Wow. Is there a National Wine Day? No, we'll make one, Karen. I we'll, think so, and then we we'll have to just bring Phil wine. back and have a National Local Wine, wine Day. Wine Day, yeah. We'll do, can you <laughs> do that? Um, Phil, can you please give our listeners... Uh, like website information, how they can learn more about longevity uh, wines and the uh, AAAV organization? Yes. So our website for longevity wines is uh, simply longevitywines.com. Um, you can find us on primarily Facebook and Instagram. Uh, same with AAAV, uh, Facebook and Instagram, and that is aaavintners.org. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're pretty easy to find. Thank you. Thank you. Sincerely Very so much for this uh, tutorial on wine and the industry. And I hope you will come back another time so we can talk some more. Oh, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Thank I really you. appreciate you asking me to be on. And I look forward to coming back. So just, just reach out. Right on. Uh, Christmas is coming up. Thanksgiving, all these ha- holidays are, are happening. What's one good wine that goes with some uh, Christmas dinner? The wine you like. The wine you like. Okay. <laughs>
for wine you like. That's that's the best answer. But I I'm a big proponent that rosés go the best mm. with pretty much everything on a holiday table. Okay. And then uh, right alongside it, you can't go wrong with sparkling. You cannot yeah, go wrong with sparkling wine okay. all holiday season. I I totally agree. Thank you. Thank you so much, Phil Long of Longevity Wines, president of the Association of African American Vintners, with us here today on Urban Connections at 90.1 FM. See you next time and happy holidays, Phil. Happy holidays. Thank you, guys. You're welcome.